Anki, I'm very grateful to you for uh, agreeing to this discussion. Um, I know uh, from things that you've said already in public and on other occasions uh, that, first of all, um, this kind of oral medium uh, is not your favourite. Um, it's not your favourite primarily because, of course, you're a writer. And so uh, this kind of somewhat occasionally uh, thoughtless speech uh, can, cannot be the best, the best uh, way of going, conducting things. But also the other thing is, of course, we're conducting this discussion in English, which is not your first language. Uh, it's not your primary language as a writer. It's not the language that is inevitably most important to you. Um, I, what I would like uh, to try to do as far as possible in, in this discussion is to turn those two manifest disadvantages into something of an opportunity. Um, partly to talk about your relationship to other languages, to talk about, of course, your relationship to Afrikaans, um, and to uh, introduce people to the broad range of your work uh, from the beginning to the end. So, thanks so, so much. No, it's a pleasure. Um, the format that we thought would work uh, is to have you read a few uh, sections from some of your work, uh, four of them uh, we've got, um, and then to have a brief discussion about them afterwards and to move on to the next one. And uh, the first, uh, and in each case, uh, in each case I, I've chosen the extract or the, the text I would like you to read um, and, uh, um, and, and to use the discussion. So that, that's, that's my, my, part of my responsibility in this whole project. The first uh, text I wanted you to read is actually just the first stanza, the first verse, of a poem uh, called Onerweiser, which is teacher in Afrikaans, which comes from your first collection of poems, uh, which is called Dochter van Jefte, the daughter of Jephthah, uh, would be the, the rough English translation, uh, which appeared in 1970 um, in a publication by Human and Rousseau in, in, in South Africa. Um, so maybe if we could just begin with you reading, uh, initially, you reading in Afrikaans, uh, the short first verse of Onderwijzer. Onderwijzer. Jy staan voor ons in die klas, by jou tafel, by jou moedertaal, by jou boeken, jou hoedje en jou tas. Jy staan voor ons soos een klein Jericho, en al het jy mure om jou gebou, draai jy tanden van silver en goud, en al het jy wachters en al jou toerings bly daar een raagap in jou. Great, thank you. I, I now, uh, for the benefit of those who don't follow Afrikaans, have um, my own uh, bad translation uh, of this poem. And it's, in, it's entirely uh, wooden, um, it's, not a, it's just an attempt at a literal translation, which I, I just, just for the sake of our discussion, um, I'll, I'll just read out the rough translation. You stand before us in the class, uh, beside your table, beside your mother tongue, beside your books, your little cap and your bag, you stand before us like a little Jericho, and even if you have built walls around you, you wear teeth of silver and gold. And even if you have guards in your towers, a Rahab lives in you. Um, Anki, I think it'll be fairly obvious as to why I'm interested in this poem. Uh, it's because uh, it is a, a young Afrikaans girl at school still. Um, one of the things I'd like to know is just if you can remember exactly when you wrote this and what age you were. But uh, in all sorts of ways, um, taking up a, a testy, perhaps even adversarial relationship to your own language. Um, and the medium of instruction in all sorts of ways. There, there, are things, there were so many things in the translation that were, were, were problematic for me. Um, you know, one of them was just a little preposition, bay, which I, I, I went for beside in a lot of things. But it but it's also it could be just with, bay in Afrikaans does lots of things 
at your table, by your tafel, etc. But of course, in many ways, the most, the most powerful thing that doesn't communicate uh, in the translation is the fact that, you know, uh, uh, late 20th century English has lost any distinction with the second person between a formal and an informal. Uh, and in Afrikaans, it would be U, and, in, uh, and, and Ye, in French, it would be uh, Vous and Tu. Uh, English has lost that. You know, in some ways, one of the first things that strikes you, somebody with a, a knowledge of Afrika Afrikaans, is, you know, this is a poem called Onurvesa, Teacher, and it begins with Ye. Uh, that in itself almost is a kind of a, a provocation. Um, it's not formal enough. It would, I would imagine, surely, for your generation, you would have addressed your teacher as you, uh, or would it have? I was more or less 16 when I wrote the poem, uh, but it was specifically about uh, a particular teacher, our Afrikaans teacher. Mm -hmm. And at that stage, I have read, because my mother uh, is a writer, and both her and my father read and bought Afrikaans books. And because Afrikaans is such a young uh, literature, at that age, I would say I have read practically everything that has been published yeah. um, in Afrikaans, especially during the time. So the new books were bought, the new poets were read and discussed in our house. So I was uh, ahead of, well then, also of the teacher. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't bear him reading uh, the poems because he had no feeling for what is being said. Mm -hmm. He couldn't explain the poem. And in his way, he was terrified of me. Mm -hmm. uh, you, I quickly realized. So what makes this poem even worse is that I wrote it on his request for poetry for the Eisteddfod, for the, a yearly competition. So this poem deriding him and his subject and the way he teach literature mm. was given to him and he sent it duly to the Eisteddfod and it won first prize and then was published in the school yearbook and then became uh, widely known, well at least in the town and to the whole school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all, it's in a way, pathetic. Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe one thing I could just add, uh, because we did it, we, we have just brutally extracted the first, the first verse. Uh, what, 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 just, I'm really interested in what you've just said, because you do end up by identifying two, that he, he's particularly committed to two uh, Afrikaans writers, and you, and you mentioned Malherbe and, and Tushes. Is, again, is that it's partly the, signifying that he's, he's only interested in the old stuff? In the old stuff, the religious stuff, right, um, and the stuff that was easily uh, ex explainable, mm. explicable. So he um, he felt safe there. Yeah, and and within that was already the rottenness mm -hmm. of what one experienced. And even as a school child, the political rottenness of a country mm. was also embedded in the, the literature. Mm -hmm. Both, um, well, Malerba wrote beautiful books where white people lived on farms and there's no black person that yeah. does any work. Or, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's the, uh, to ignore 80% yeah. of the country. Yeah. So the, the, the poem derided him, but then also, I think, derided the literature that he taught us. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and I mean, also, the, you know, the, because of the collection is called Dochter van Jefte, there's the biblical, the biblical freight of the title of the whole collection. And then you use that wonderful little uh, simile, the Swiss, like, like a claim, Jer a little Jericho. Um, uh, would, would, would you think that, uh, is there some sense in which, even at that age, where you say, yes, you're responding to the literature, but you also, there's an implication there that you're responding to his version of Afrikaans. Is, was that also part of what you're aware of? That it's a, you know, it's, it's extraordinary that you describe him as having this mudurtal, which is there with his books, but it's also then comes into the simile where you've got this walled city with its guards. And of course, then there is... Then there is the, uh, 
um, the king of Jericho uh, worried about spies and there's one and interestingly a woman figure and a prostitute who yes. is harboring spies Rahab yeah. um, so there's there's a there's inevitably there's a there's issues about um, Betrayal. A patriarchal control of the culture, yes. but also uh, the linguistically almost a kind of a, a, a guarding, a protecting of a version of the language. Is, was it was was that linguistic consciousness also because of the Muddertal? It's it's what a part yeah. of what you were thinking. You must about. remember um, the the Muddertal. I was taught uh, the grammar itself, and in a way I still use it because it was a very good book. Yeah, it's a thick as two Bibles in a way but what half of it did was to say this is this is um, English versions of it so you shouldn't use that because this is Anglicisme this is foreign so all the the words by black people and by slaves was then included in foreign Uh so you had this grammar book that had uh, would you remember the title of it Ons Muddertal. Ons Muddertal, yes. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, this sort of, this, this is Ons Muddertal, and the yeah. rest is all, and don't use that. So it's not that you could even make an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, we, we, you were told that this is, this is not part of the lar. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. But it, it was, it was a mental attitude as well from, teachers, from school, from parents, and I would also in a way add literature to it, Mm -hmm. although I uh, adored the Afrikaans literature and had my favorite poets, my sense that things were wrong in the country, I didn't get from the literature. Mm You, you got it from observing, just observing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. that things were not translated into literature. Mm-hmm. So there was something missing in the literature. In the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, I think it continues up until today, and that is that you can deride the rulers and that is what uh, most of the Sestigers in Afrikaans literature mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. at one stage. These are the writers of the 60s, Breitenbach. Breitenbach, all yeah. of them, they, they resisted the apartheid government. So the derision and the attacks were against the government and the political leaders. Mm. But there wasn't black people in the poems. Yeah. There weren't black con- context or content yeah. in the poems. Nobody could speak the language. No one was really interested in what is being said in the language, nor who is writing in that language. Of course, if they wrote in Afrikaans or English, then uh, people took notice of that. But it, it was as if both in the town, in the language, in the literature, mm-hmm. in the country, in the law, 80%, 90% of the country was absent. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe before we leave... The, the first collection, this is your debut volume, 1970. Um, in, 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 because of your, your obvious political awareness at that, at that age of 1670, one of the most striking things for anybody coming across this collection now is that in many ways your, 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 the poem that was the greatest sort of cause celebre of that early moment of your career that made your name uh, nationally and in many ways because of other things like translation made it internationally. Um, so there's also an idea in which you know you, your your relationship to English comes later. Well, it's not; it's, it's almost instant. Your relationship, you know, you're being translated uh, instantly. There's a the poem. Uh, it's a wonderful, um, eroticized, utopian poem of longing, uh, of longing beyond uh, uh, insufferable racial boundaries, etc. Et called in Afrikaans "May Mui Lant." Um, translated into English, I've always thought slightly unfortunately as my beautiful land. Uh, I, I, my feeling is you? beautiful just doesn't have the, yeah, the irony of mui. Yeah. Mui okay. is, uh, I don't, is that, am I right? It's pretty. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty. More, and, but more pretty. Yeah. And so it's, there's, a, there's a kind of, uh, and I always like the, the play of the irony in the Afrikaans because there's this utopian longing mm-hmm. and this desire 
in the poem, but it's also slightly undercut by the title, which makes it, you know, it's a complex fantasy, uh, and, and a bit of, but a very politically charged one. And it, it did, it became a big sensation. Uh, when it, a when it's scandal. A scandal, yeah, exactly. And, and it, it, so this collection came out in 70, 1970. In 1971, uh, you know, fascinatingly, again, the poem appeared in English, as My Beautiful Land, uh, in Sechaba, which was the ANC in-house magazine um, in 1971, January, I think, 1971, and where it was, of course, banned. Mm. Um, you know, Sechaba did not circulate uh, uh, openly in, in South Africa at all. Um, but it's not in the collection. Uh, Dr. van Yefter does not have that poem. The most famous poem it doesn't have. Or the poem that put the, 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 my work on the map was not in there. Yeah. Um, when, when the first scandal broke in the newspaper, uh, to say this is a 17-year-old girl and this is what she writes about, Afrikaans Muddertal, her language. This yeah. is what she writes about teachers. This is what she writes about uh, sex, because yeah. I also had a, an essay on Adam and Eve. Yeah. And then this is what she writes politically. You know, what's wrong with our youth and yeah. what's wrong with her parents and the school, etc. Um, the publishers phoned my mother, the publishers who publishes my, my mother's work. They phoned and said to her, don't you want to send us her work so that we see whether we can publish it? Mm -hmm. And so she decided that because I am now known as a political poet, which I'm not, I'm this innocent child who just experiment, she says in an interview when they ask her, don't take her seriously, she just experiments with language as a young girl with lipstick. Mm -hmm. The fact that neither she nor myself ever wore lipstick can tell you something about <laughs> metaphor. But um, so it was then decided this is then an attempt to say, don't, this is not a, a political poet. She is writing about a lot of uh -huh. other things. Uh -huh. But then, of course, as you have noticed correctly, the whole volume in many ways is, is a political accusation against a very close... Uh, a dying, angry community, mm -hmm. in a way, or, mm -hmm. or yeah, stagnant. Yeah. So it was primarily at your at your at your mother's insistence yeah. that it got dropped. And so did the, and the publisher agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. because they, and this they, is human and Rousseau. Yeah, yeah. Because they would have had to censor, and it would have been a, another issue altogether. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's great. I mean, of course, because the, the collection is called Dochter van yeah. Jephtha, Jephtha, um you know, yeah. the, the leader of the Israelites, yeah. uh, successful in the battle against the Ammonites, but who then... Is willing to sacrifice his daughter. Sacrifices his daughter for, for, that, for, that, for that end. But the, the, what is then ironic is that they thought that the poem would die. Yeah. And then within six months, the poem was translated uh, by Ronnie Castles, he told me afterwards. Yes. And, and published in Sachawa, and in that way, it found its way to Mandela in, on Robben Island. Uh -huh. And th they were saying that if a schoolgirl is saying this, yeah. we will be free in our lifetime. Yeah. So then, in fact, that's how it appears in Sachawa. If a schoolgirl of 17 can say this in, in Kronstadt, yeah. you know, yeah. there is hope. Yeah. So when... Um, Ahmed Kathrada was released from jail mm -hmm. just before Mandela was released and he uh, had a big, huge rally in Soweto. Mm -hmm. I just got, I'm in Kronstadt, I have children, I raise children, I mm -hmm. teach at a, a black uh, training college. I get this phone call that he just read the poem there to millions Amazing. of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's just a strange root of something that you never recognize was never yeah. in black and white uh, printed but how it takes on a life of its own and it's really actually also not a good poem <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you never knew about that when did, when did you find out about that translation because i mean there's a, there was a there was an article in the newspaper to say that this controversial in english newspapers okay. that it was translated but i 
I didn't know who read Sachava or where yeah. it ends up. Nobody or, approached you about translating it. Nobody approached. No, you no, about, no, 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 no. It just no, appeared. No, yeah. no, it appeared. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Great. Thank you. Um, can we move on yeah. to the the second uh, the second extract that I've chosen? And and in uh, uh, this wasn't all entirely planned, um, but it, but it is uh, a, a neat move. We've discussed uh, many things about your relationship with your mother. Mm. Um, you mentioned the fact that your mother is a very eminent writer uh, or considerable output um, herself. Um, and so the, the extract that I would love you to read next, uh, um, for, for two reasons, partly is, is that, that, that issue of, of um, your, your relationship to your mother in that sense, but it's also not just a personal and biographical thing. It's a generational, cultural, many things at work. Um, but also the reason why I wanted to, to focus on this passage, uh, it is from Country of My Skull, which appeared in 1998. Um, and which was, in, you know, although you've had these early things that are starting to circulate much more widely uh, beyond South Africa, you know, via Sechaba would be, you know, international uh, audience would have been picking up May Mui Land, My Beautiful Land, in that version. But uh, in 1998, Country of My Skull comes out. It, it is the book in many ways. It's your, it's your book about the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, about your experiences of, uh, of um, reporting on it, uh, but also about much more than just your experiences. It's a, it's a work that plays all sorts of complex games with factual reportage and... Uh, and fiction, and uh, that's part of its fascination and what makes it a, an absorbing thing to read. Um, but of course, it is also your first self-translation into English. Uh, is that right? I, um, when I started working, let me move even back. We moved from the Free State hmm. in 1993 to Cape Town, and hmm. I couldn't speak English. I was yeah. editor of the, I could read and write at honors in English, yeah. but I couldn't speak it. Yeah. So when we moved here, I was uh, editor of the only current affairs uh, left-wing uh, magazine, Die South Afrikaan. Yeah. But I had to attend many you know, English events here in Cape Town, where I couldn't speak English. So we, we always had to take one of the board members with to do the English part, and I did the Afrikaans part. Yeah. So I was really, it was not my language. I grew up completely functioning in Afrikaans. Yeah. I could, what I eat, what I saw on television, what I read um, was, was, a, was a circle. Yeah. Um, of course, Cape Town shattered all of that. Yeah. Um, then I moved to SABC, and in SABC you had to uh, report by, on, in both languages mm -hmm. because SABC the radio covered all languages mm -hmm. so if you can only report in one language you, you cannot work there mm -hmm. I then were forced to start working in English and I remember the first time I made a broadcast the phone calls from English speaking people complaining about my accent and I said at one stage when one is afraid of your uh, past and then someone found Please help that girl. It's not when one is afraid of your, it's when one is afraid of one's past. Please help that girl. Um, yeah. So in, in that way, I began to work in, 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 in two languages. But I found it very helpful to first write in Afrikaans mm -hmm. because I could fully express myself. And then the translation came in bits and right. pieces. But it okay. was always less than the, 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 the Afrikaans. So, Country of My Skull, I wrote in Afrikaans first. Yeah. Then, it, I, my English was simply not good enough to translate it. Mm -hmm. So, I asked someone to translate and he sent me a chapter and I felt completely alienated from the text. Mm -hmm. It felt as if somebody else translated it. It sounded English mm -hmm. and I couldn't bear this mm -hmm. Englishness that I sounded like and so I asked my son who was then at UCT architectural student and he needed pocket money and I said to him but translate it as if you as you would imagine me so he kept the Afrikaans under structure mm -hmm. of the of the book and and there's lots of literal translations in the book mm -hmm. because what I wanted to say that is is two things I'm in English but it's not because 
because I, I want to be English mm. or because I want to uh, escape my past or mm. escape the responsibilities and the, the damage that my language has done. Mm. I am from there mm. and you must hear it and you must bear it at the back of your mind all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is then, uh, but the last book I translated myself, my English is in the meantime, I've improved <laughs> significantly, I hope. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. I mean, in a sense, the, the fact that you say that uh, about this book, you know, makes the passage that I've selected for you to read even more uh, kind of complex and interesting, because actually this is now a, the, so the passage I'd, li I'd like you to read is the short little extract that you have from an essay that your mother wrote. Uh, where she's describing um, the moment at which she witnesses or thinks she witnesses the plane carrying uh, Hendrik Verwoet, the, the Prime Minister at that point, uh, his body uh, back to, uh, presumably it's going up north, huh? yeah. uh, from, from, he was assassinated. Uh, he in, was stabbed like a pig huh? exactly. with a knife in Parliament. Exactly. It's quite... In something in Cape Town. In Cape Town, in 66, am I right? Yes. I've got the date right, yeah. So, uh, and she, she uh, it's the moment which she responds to this, this, mo this, this possibility that this plane going overhead is bearing his body. Yes, because our farm was halfway yeah. between Cape Town and... And of course, Germany. we already know that your mother has, well, we'll talk about this a little bit more moment, has a particular relationship to the language, the culture, the political system, etc. Um, but it's also, in a sense, just what you've said about the translation, the fact that this is now not only a translation of your words, but it's your mother's Afrikaans words now coming out in English and uh, in this book that then became an international success and became one of the most important reflections on, on, the, on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So this is just that, that extract goes over the page. As long as I live, I will never forget that Thursday morning when I was far from the house, alone in the felt. A clump of trees grows there that I water regularly. Everything was bitterly dry. I stood with my foot on the wire fence, watching how the thin stream trickles over the cracked earth. But suddenly, I became conscious of a drone from the southeast. In one way or another, it was different from any other plane that I have heard. I looked up and remembered that I had heard over the radio that the coffin with the body of the Prime Minister would be taken to Pretoria that day. Could it be? And I looked again. But no, I thought. This is only one plane. There should be a whole squadron of our most beautiful, noble air giants to take this man to his last resting place. It was a lonely, heavy bomber. It flew lower than I have ever seen a plane before. And its motors, I don't know how, sounded muted. And its flight very still as if it should be handled with the utmost tenderness. And I realized it is so that I'm standing all by myself on the pale free state landscape while the body of this great man passes me by. In this moment, the life of the man I only saw and admired from afar had touched my life. And I don't have the arrogance nor the confidence of the new generation to control such a touch. It moved in my soul. And I was wondering what I should do. Should I go out on the streets and call upon people to consider what is happening to our country? Should I call on them with the only call that I know, that of concentration camps, tears and blood? And I prayed that my hand should fall off if I ever write something for my personal honor at the cost of my people and what has been negotiated for them through years of tears and blood. That I will always remember that to write in Afrikaans is not a right, 
but a privilege bought and paid for at a price and that it brings with it heavy responsibilities. Uh, the context in which that passage appears is uh, the I-voice, which of course I'll keep calling an I-voice, the I-figure, the Ankikroch figure in, in Country of My Skull, is, is angry about politicians um, uh, mm. Ruth Mayer, F.W. Leclerc, not saying things. Uh, in public, about not admitting things, getting away with too much. There's a kind of anger about what's going on in that moment in the in the in the early 90s, um, and then you shift to this passage, um, and then after it again, there's this. You, you then you shift to that passage, then you return to what should an Afrikaans leader, a responsible Afrikaans leader, really be doing at this moment in the early 90s, going back, thinking about your mother, and then you come back to your mother's passage and you say this. I think of the piece that my mother wrote, so having again said something about the failure of leadership, is a comment you made, how easily, then it's these, it's these two words that I would particularly wanted to ask you to maybe elaborate on, ponder on, but how easily and naturally the story shifts from politics to language. So it's where she's witnessing a moment of you know, political history, and the, you're interested in the fact that it immediately moves to the writer and her relationship to the language and how easily and naturally that happens. I just wondered if, if you could reflect for a moment about those words easily and naturally, but also in particular how you feel they apply maybe in your mother's case, in that passage and what you're thinking about there, but also how maybe in South Africa today and in perhaps maybe in too many countries that don't want to face up to these sorts of things. That move is often very common and very easy and very natural. It lies with the fact that uh, Afrikaners chose to call themselves Afrikaners after the continent and chose the language uh, after the continent, of which they knew nothing. Mm -hmm which they in very many aspects deep down despise. So their very name is linked to a continent mm -hmm. and the politics thereof. Mm -hmm. And they're not, they're not being part of the continent really. Mm -hmm. But by choosing the word Afrikaner, they also excluded calling other people Afrikaners mm -hmm. from the continent. So it's actually only us who speaks Afrikaans who are from the continent, mm -hmm. if, you, if you take right. it to its fullest consequence. Yeah. So Afrikaners, uh, there's two things that they, that they link as the essence of being an Afrikaner. And the one is the land, and the other is the language. So the language <coughs> is per se your political survival. Mm -hmm. It's what makes you belong here, number one, but it's what makes you different from the English. Mm -hmm. And even from the Dutch, in from, terms of, yes, yeah, from, from, Dutch, terms from, of that, from that everybody language. else. Yeah. It's only us. And then it became a huge problem in the, after 1994 when it suddenly becomes clear that the majority of speakers in Afrikaans are not white, are not Afrikaners, they are the colored people. Yeah. And they demand a place in the language and in the literature. Yeah. And that felt like an immense uh, identity threat. Mm -hmm. So that is still shaking Afrikaans in its foundations. Is what do you do with this um, messy Afrikaans that they bring with this different um, influences, mm -hmm. um, this anglicized uh, Afrikaans? What do you kick them out? No, because you are su such a small group, mm -hmm. so we have to incorporate them and yet kept our Afrikaans, our kind of Afrikaans, um, insistent, uh, persistent as the essence of being an Afrikaner. Mm -hmm. 
So in the following volumes, after the, the, the first two ones, I deliberately started using what was called impure Afrikaans mm -hmm. and what was eventually sarcastically described as Ankikaans. Yeah. Um, this, this is as a poet in yes. your, after your first volume yeah, of uh, poetry. So you're talking yeah, right further. back to the 70s. Yeah. yeah. So it's during the 80s especially, uh, uh, I deliberately distorted the Afrikaans that I use so that the the real, the true African speakers and the Afrikaners feel themselves alien in, in my work. They, mm -hmm. they don't feel, yes, that's, that's my language, yes, that's my poet, that mm -hmm. you can d divorce yourself in a way through the language, mm -hmm. um, yeah, from the obvious readers of the language. Right. And this would, this would also be reflected in someone like Adam Small's uh, literary career, in some ways, the kind of what was called Karps Afrikaans that he that he started or Karps just called Karps that he started to use. And he, I know that you know recently. I know he's, he's, he, he he was given the Herzog Prize in a sense many in many ways the most prestigious Afrikaans literary award which. You yeah, but twenty have, years later. But twenty years later, and he gave this extremely powerful. I mean, in absentia because he was yeah. so ill, uh, but uh, extremely powerful speech about. Uh, about his relationship to that kind of official Afrikaans, almost. You see, that kind of dissidence was allowed uh, by Adam Small and S.P. Peterson, and so they were published, etc. Mm. People felt uncomfortable, but yeah, 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 okay, this is... This is I guess this so. Is, uh, yeah. yeah. But what do you do if you're a writer um, within the language of which you despise, uh, deeply resent the teachers, mm. the parents, the, the, the political leaders. Mm -hmm. How do you avoid them honoring you, mm -hmm. liking your work and finding access to it? And the most effective way I, I thought was to, to irritate them with a kind of Afrikaans. Yeah, yeah. So this is once we get into things like Jerusalem Hangers yeah. uh, in the mid 80s yeah. and then, and then yeah. in some ways. Uh, Otis and Bronsla, all of, yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and that perfectly brings us on to the, the next text that I, I wanted to read, which actually comes from that, that late 80s moment in, in your career, but it's uh, Lady Anne. Um, but actually what I w wanted uh, to, you to read, um, again, partly because we now, I mean, it's interesting that in a sense that we started off with your, your early poems in, in Afrikaans and we, we've inevitably moved always into the question of translation uh, coming, coming on uh, in all sorts of ways. Um, and I wanted, what I wanted you to read was uh, the, the um, short extracts, or use various extracts from uh, Lady Anne, the original long poem, um, series of poems, sequence of poems. In uh, 2004, in, in Down to My Last Skin, that collection of mainly self-translations, but also translations by others of, of your work. Um, and it's this little poem here called Lady Anne as Guide which in many ways sort of captures a key part of what the whole poem is doing, is looking back to Lady Anne Barnard, end of the 18th, beginning of the 19th century, coming out of the British into the Cape. Uh, she left lots of diaries, recorded... Beautiful paintings. Beautiful paintings, yeah. artefacts of, her, of her, her being there. And you use that, uh, those texts uh, in all sorts of ways, um, in, in an assemblage sort of way, collage way, in, in, in Lady Anne. But in this poem, you, you reflect on, it's almost a kind of a metapoetic poem, you reflect on the whole act of using her as a guide. And in the English translation, you actually give it a title. Uh, Lady Anne as guide. Do you want me to read the English? And read the English, okay. yeah. And then um, one of the things I'd love to go and talk about is, is the fact that this is a self-translation okay. in this case and it's so radically different from the Afrikaans. I wanted to live a second life through you, Lady Anne Barnett. Show it is possible to hone the truth by pen, to live an honourable life in an era of horror. But from your letters you emerge. <clears throat> hand on the hip, talented, but a frivolous fool, pen in sly ink, snob, naive liberal, being spoiled from your principles by your useless husband. You never had real pluck. Now, 
that your whole frivolous life has arrived on my desk. I go berserk. As a metaphor, my lady, you not worth a fuck. Great. Um, I mean, one, one of the things that's interesting in the, in the uh, preface to this collection, you, you talk, you reflect on the, 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 the situation of the translator. And you, you say this there, the translator of poetry has several choices. Either to stay as close as possible to the meaning of the original poem, hoping that the translation will create its own internal rhythm, or to search for equally rich sounds and rhythms in the language of the translation and risk introducing new resonances of meaning, or to create, and then in quotes, a version of the original that is in many respects a new poem. Okay. Um, and it was in a sense partly because of that last statement that I chose this poem, because it is in many respects a new poem. And there's, there are mm -hmm. resonances, it's clearly a version, but it's also a radically new poem. And there are a number of things that, that go, for, uh, that, uh, in a sense, mainly through abandonment. You, the, the things mm -hmm. that you do translate what's there is sort of uh, comparable, but there's a lot that you just drop out. And, and one of the things is, you know, for instance, I, I have, again, uh, uh, um, a very bad uh, translation of my own uh, where... It comes out, for instance, that you have you have the line uh, in in the uh, in the Afrikaans where you say Blute, you describe Lady Anne as Blute optiekenaar van die dagelijkse bloot, mm -hmm. uh, which would be roughly translate translated as uh, um, uh, a mere recorder of the daily bread. Um, so w one of the things that's interesting about your decision to drop that line is. Uh, there's also the whole problem of optiekenaar, note taker. Mm. Uh, it's almost a kind of a, a bureaucratic, isn't it? A, a, kind of like a secretary, mm. official mm. Secretary. note taker kind of. Mm. So there's a kind of slight officiousness about the optiekenaar word. But of course, the other thing that gets lost is entirely is the uh, is the biblical resonance. So that's the one thing. But perhaps the most radical thing that you do is you drop, cut out entirely the second stanza where. Um, Again, this is a bad yeah. translation. So I'd, I'd, lo I'd love you to comment on the bad translation. Uh, and, and, and just although I, 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 can, I can read and work with Afrikaans and so on, I, I actually, for fun, used Google Translate to try to see what it did uh, okay. with some of, some of these things uh, because it's new technology, newish technology. But uh, anyway, this is what we got roughly of, of the Afrikaans original, which is now also there. So we, the, the, the second stanza, which you dropped completely, what you also wanted to do or you hoped Lady Anne as guide would give you is the opportunity to weave a language of revolution and plots. Uh, free slaves, rob nobles, and then the word I suppose, well Google Translate gives us clinically. And with you yet through the interior, and then you said to, and with you, you know, to yet move through the interior, and then there's this wonderful line where, where you have, it would be the potential word is cleave or split, and then it's, of course, it's the, it's the most charged word in many ways, the most charged Afrikaans word uh, in, in, in the South African context, bura, which is literally farmers, but of course it's also a derogatory term for a certain version of Afrikaner identity, etc., to cleave or split bura farmers to the bone. And so I'm just interested in what, what, what you saw as an opportunity to create something new, uh, but also that no, it was it, something that dropped a lot. Yeah, it, Lady Anne, as a volume, was an epic. Mm. It means it stretched over many pages where I tell her story, but I chose then to be her bard, mm -hmm. uh, as a hero needs a bard. And the bard is telling the South African political story. Mm -hmm. So these two strands weave through over many pages of um, her, what she sees, what she says, um, together with my political commentary and questions, etc. Mm -hmm. So you work with her through slaves, through comp, uh, the plots, etc. And in the meantime, I'm telling the 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 terror that is going on during the 80s mm -hmm. uh, the killings the the 
you know, the fear, the harassments of cops, and so on. It was a terrifying time. Mm -hmm. So when I had the opportunity to, to do one, trans, one volume that must come from eight solid poetry volumes, you, you pinch here and there because it's just so unsatisfying. You mm -hmm. cannot take one thorough story and tell it. Mm -hmm. The previous volume was Jerusalem Hangers. It's a group of Afrikaners who, dis who didn't, couldn't think metaphysically. Mm -hmm. They looked in the Bible and saw the Nile going up to Jerusalem and they thought, but listen, we can just pack our wagons and go to Jerusalem mm -hmm. and live forever. And they started moving north. Mm -hmm. So this, this notion of Afrikaners who think they can arrive in heaven you know, just by tracking, that the whole volume is about that. Mm -hmm. There's no way in which I could portray that uh, in, you know, in, in 30 poems that has to cover a, a whole lifetime in mm -hmm. a way. And the, the essence of that poem was hapography, mm -hmm. which means you leave out parts of the words and leave out letters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't do that in English. So, in essence, the, the, the new, the English volume, the English volume was then to introduce me to English. Mm. It was not that uh, I was known, I mean, I was known to older politicians mm -hmm. and I was known to grassroots activists mm -hmm. as a person, but not as a poet. Mm -hmm. So when the, 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 19s, the 90s dawned, um, no one knew me as a poet. That's why I reported, etc., under Samuel, because mm -hmm. that was much more known than mm -hmm. Kroch. Mm -hmm. So by after Country of My Skull, the uh, publishers thought, but maybe she needs to be known as a poet as well. Mm -hmm. So make a selection in, so that we can introduce her. Mm -hmm. So the Lady Anne Poe uh, uh, epic was then reduced to a few poems in a separate um, part of mm -hmm. the volume, where the Bart is, for instance, not there. Yeah. Um, the whole story of Lady Anne is also not told. It's just, a f it's just to say, okay, I've written about Lady Anne and I've written. Mm -hmm. So the, co the, the plots, the revolution, the, the, the slaves, her sharp commentary on the Afrikaners in the interior of the country, it, it's, it's not there. Yeah. So, in many ways, it's sort of an ab aborted example mm -hmm. of, of... And it causes many problems, in, in a way, because now I was... At, um, yeah, anyway, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. It's, 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 the, it's not so much, um, in many ways, sort of just the details of the thing. It's actually the fact that you're creating a, a whole new form of these self-standing poems, which is the problem. It's, uh, so I, I, let, I have to let go of the style. So yeah. every volume has a specific style. If yeah. I say to you, I distort the Afrikaans, there's no way in which I could do that in English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you, you do an epic, okay, there's no way in which you could do justice to that. You cannot do justice to the two, two voices that's arguing all the time. Yeah. But then what is even more is now you move into a language of which you don't really understand the, the, the aesthetics. Yeah. And, and it's not that translators are falling over their feet mm -hmm. to translate you. No. So you translate, so that uh, uh, standard there, I did translate it, but then it doesn't work. It doesn't work aesthetically mm. for me. And I don't have the knowledge to, yeah, to to trans, to, to, and now what do I do? Do I kick it out, or do I rework it into something different? Mm -hmm. And if it's boring, how do I make it uh, uh, fascinating? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a there's a quotation that you use from a wonderful lecture that you gave about translation in 2002, where, which captures in some way some of the challenges you do. It's a quotation from Derrida, where you say, uh, Derrida says, you quote this in the lecture, a text lives on 
a text lives only if it lives on. And it lives on only if it is at once translatable and untranslatable. So there's a, there's a sense in which this, even just that act of self-translation is partly also capturing that broader, bigger issue to do with None. survival, living on of, of texts and textual life, uh, afterlives in that way. But it's also you know, facing up to a specific challenge of almost cre creating a completely new form. As you say, there's, a, there's the epic and then now you're creating something that is, a, in a sense, a series of freestanding lyrics, isn't it? Yeah, no. That you've got a completely different form in English, not, yeah. to, not just a language. Yeah. And they had a specific form, a specific 15-line form, yeah. which rhymes at particular intervals. And there's specific rhyme words that's repeated right through the whole epic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is all gone now. Yeah. So in... in um, down to my last skin. So my first English volume is, is uh, I would say, uh, an impoverished representation, but at least it was a repre representation, and it did very well, and it introduced me to a very large mm. audience. Mm. The second volume was Body Bereft, yeah. and that was a translation of an Afrikaans, one Afrikaans volume, Verweerskrift, yeah. and that is a, it's a much more equal it's, it's the same problems of untranslatability mm. often uh, there, but at least the, the space was there mm -hmm. to, to try. Great. Thank you. The, la the last uh, text I wanted to turn to is, again, we inevitably seem to be sticking with the issue of translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, partly because we're, 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 we're talking in English, uh, so this is itself a part of the a reflection of the issue, not just a... A reflection on it. Um, uh, this is a, a, um, an, an extract I'd like, uh, like you to read next, uh, which comes from um, A Change of Tongue, which appeared in, in 2003. But, but behind all of this is my, my sense that, you know, post Country of My Skull into the new millennium, you, you became much more committed in, in a way way beyond the issue of self-translation, of you appearing in English and, or, or, or other languages, and much more committed to a whole series of projects in which the, the, the question of translation is absolutely at the forefront. I mean, the, the first was in many ways you, the fact that you translated uh, Nelson Mandela's uh, Long Walk to Freedom uh, into Afrikaans, uh, which appeared in 2001. Uh, there's your reworking of the Kham, uh, poems, um, the the Khoisan, uh, what used to be called Bushman poems, with, uh, came out in, in English and Afrikaans, and so called uh, The Stars Say Tso in, in 2004. Uh, then there's a wonderful collection of, uh, of uh, African language translations that you did of Isikosa, Isizulu, uh, Sutu, etc. poems in Medvurdas uh, Kersa, which came out in 2002 in Afrikaans. So you translated Kosa Zulu poems into Afrikaans. Uh, and then also there's that wonderful uh, um, uh, volume uh, co-authored with Nosisim uh, Polweni and Kopano uh, Khatele, your colleagues at, at UWC, um, There Was This Goat, um, came out in, in 2009, that uh, um, uh, extraordinary series of reflections on, on Mrs. Cornelius, uh, the mother of one of the Gugulia to Seven, um, her testimony in the, in the TRC, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So there's a there's a whole project of of, of translation which has been you know central to your life and work in the, in the last ten years and more. Um, and the passage I, I wanted you to have a look at it addresses these things in many ways directly. Um, it's a it's a moment in which you go and consult uh, an expert on. Uh, also, uh, language and, and literature, Professor Mayakiso, and you go you go into his office at the university. This is how it's presented. Of course, change of tongue is again, uh, you know, Anki Kroch playing fast and loose with uh, fiction, non-fiction. The I is not Anna Samuel in any straightforward way or coherent. That's part of the thing that I'm interested in. But just to set the scene of this, it, uh, you, you go in and uh, you say the, the I says here. I go to Professor. Maikiso's office at the university, on his door is a picture of a man captioned S-E-K Mkai. He lets me in. Okay. You then go in and you start talking about his translations of African languages. You start to talk about 
the ways in which uh, white colonials were received and understood and, and written about and recorded in oral traditions and so on by, uh, um, in, in African languages, and you talk about that. And then you come to the passage uh, that I w wanted you to read, um, and it's here. So it's the 185, yeah. The yes. translation of Nkai's poem. Yeah, it's, oh, okay. it's, where, okay. it's, where, it's where you start okay. there, at the top. Do you? Do you know Nkai? He asks suddenly. I shake my head. Never heard of him before. Oh, 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 that's a deficiency, a great deficiency. Samuel Edward Krunem Kai was the Shakespeare of Southern African languages. He wrote the words for Nkosi Sikileli Africa. He was the first poet recorded who took a firm stand on the selfish nature of whites. This man, in his immortal poem, Ah Silimela. Silimela is the initiation star, the harvest star, the Pleiades. Pleiades. <laughs> Say again? Pleiades is how it can Pla be pronounced. Yeah. Pleiades. Pleiades. Pleiades, okay. Yeah. The Pleiades to you. This is the star by which a Cossack counts the years of his manhood. Nkai often performed this poem in which he distributes the stars among the nations of the world when whites were present. He goes to his shelf and pulls out a thin threadbare book. Summon the nations, summon them here, let me meet out the stars, come, let me allot the stars on merit. You, the Basutu, take the dog star, your harvest star before the winter. Share it with the Tswana and the Chopi, and all of those who wear loincloths. You from Zululand, take the belt of Orion, and share it with the Swazi, the Chopi, and the Shangan, and with all the uncircumcised people. You whites, you who are not able to share anything, the English, the Germans, and the Boers, you can have Venus, and we... We from the house of Palu, we will cling to the seven stars. We will have that star, the only one which counts our years of manhood. I can't say that, Pleiades. Anyway, this is my English. <laughs> well, this, uh, it's, uh, I would reckon its pronunciation is not yeah, uh, stable uh, and consistent. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. uh, I want to say why this obsession with translation. During the 80s and the 70s, one said that apartheid was wrong, that we are all equal, that we are all South Africans, that we want to live in a country where we care and love one another. After 1994 and after the Truth Commission, and after you became aware of the new voice that has to develop. In other words, the, the fact that your voice dominated, the fact that your culture dominated, the fact that your way of living, your philosophy dominated, was then severely confronted, undermined, split, and sort of fractured by a more and more assertive black majority. And then to say, yeah, 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 but we are now all equal, we should just love one another, was then dishonest. Because you realize you don't know what is this one that you claim to love. You don't have a clue what is living in their hearts, what is being said about you, how they see you differ from them or not. Um, and for me, it concretized one afternoon. I was with friends in the rural areas, and we went out to the farm to look at game. But on the back, a lot of the, of the bucky, a lot of black men were sitting. And they were laughing and choking. And the farmer that I was sitting next to me understood and could speak Susutu fluently. He grew up with it. And I said, what are they saying? Why are they laughing so? And he said to me, they talk shit, Aiki. They always talk shit. You don't even have to listen to them because they just talk shit. Kak. Kak is al wat And I, 
So the whole translation project from all the other languages was to disprove this. Because I know that Afrikaners hated the British for the Anglo-Boer War, but they deeply respected the poets. And because they loved the poetry, they sort of envy and looked up to the British, although you hated them. So I thought poetry would be the, the, the main underminer of racism in Afrikaans. It's to bring in the literature that is there. And I was, you know, I was not disappointed. It was, it was after the Truth Commission the most steep learning, the steepest learning curve I've ever had. It was just phenomenal what was in uh, the African language poetry, the forms, the sentiments, uh, the, the writers, the whole life that was there. So I then, uh, by pure chance, uh, stumbled across a, a piece by uh, Humi Baba, mm-hmm. in which he uses Salman Rushdie, saying, "How does newness enter the world? It's when you translate." And you come across something that you see, my language does not have that. Mm -hmm. That moment, you know, you are moving into the new. Mm -hmm. And all the time we were translating from the African languages. It It was this thing saying, yeah, you know, this, this is not the right English word. It's like you with Bay. You were moving into the new bay. Is it within? It's not really within. It has, it has another context of closeness and withinness, and yet of separateness, mm. that none of the English words were capturing. Mm. And why does Afrikaans have that word? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when I translated the book from uh, Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. Afrikaans didn't have a word for safe house. Mm-hmm. So where you, uh, when you went underground, you mm. went to safe houses. Afrikaans doesn't have a word for that, mm. which tells you something about the history of Afrikaans. We never needed a safe house. Mm-hmm. We created mm-hmm. a safe country for us yeah. through apartheid. Yeah. Um, so, and then during the, the, the Truth Commission testimonies, the real look that I did through uh, There Was This Goat, taking one testimony that when I heard that, I thought this woman is either deranged or she confirms all the stereotypes that white people have of black people, Mm. that they don't care, they're callous, they're incapable of of caring for Mm. children, etc. So I took, uh, uh, I asked two uh, colleagues who who spoke closer, and we retranslated mm-hmm. that testimony. And as we were doing that, I realized that my big problem that I had during the reporting of the Truth Commission was that the testimonies in African languages were based in a philosophy that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's a philosophy of being embedded with others and the essence of that I did use in country of my skull at the heading of a chapter and it was saying uh, they asked one woman about forgiveness does she believe in reconciliation and forgiveness and she said in Kosa and that was translated by my team into English mm-hmm. If this thing they call trans if this thing that they call reconciliation, if it means that the man who killed my son can regain his humanity so that he so that all of us can regain our humanity, then I am for it. I used it because I thought it was important, but it's only by then literally taking two years off off studying African philosophy that I realize that statement from an illiterate woman 
is a profound philosophical statement of how humanity is interwoven. And my life is immensely, not only enriched, but I live, I want to say, in, in embedded in a country. If things are being said, it's no longer like previously I said, what is happening? Why do they do this? Why does the, this people kill that? Why are these killing the foreigners? Why is everybody supporting Zuma, although he is horrid? I, I have an understanding, and it's purely, purely because of translation. Mm -hmm. So I find it, in a way, ironic and pathetic that no effort is made for translation in this country. No money is given for translation. Um, and we... How will we get English to be African? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anki, um, I had many other things I wanted to ask you. <laughs> but uh, I think on yeah, that I note... I think it's much more than... It is uh, by far the best note on which to end uh, with an appeal to what Translation. English will do 